Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Hi, welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and I'm so excited about our guest today. Today, we are talking with James Perdue, who is the professor of perseverance, and he has an incredible story of overcoming odds to share with us today and, and share with us all the wisdom and things that he has gleaned from his life. So thank you so much, James, for being with us. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, thank you for having me here. And Let's don't over blow it up here because I don't know okay. about how much wisdom I'm going to spend out oh, okay. there, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a good old time and hopefully we'll yeah. inspire and motivate somebody. Definitely. Definitely. That sounds awesome. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to be the professor of perseverance. Well, the professor of perseverance came from, I got to give it, give, you had to give it to a man, John Bentley. We, mm -hmm. uh, we met in the National Speakers Association and I have a doctoral degree. Mm -hmm. And so we've known each other for months. And all of a sudden, one day he says, he's behind me and he goes, hey, Professor of Perseverance. Mm -hmm. I hear it, but I, I don't pay attention to it. Yeah. He said, Professor of Perseverance. And finally, James, I said, huh, you talking to me, John? He said, yeah, you're the Professor of Perseverance. I said, what? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. He said, you got a doctoral degree. I said, yeah, Professor. He said, mm -hmm. and you want to talk about persevering, don't you? Yeah. You're the Professor of Perseverance. <laughs> so thank you, John Bentley, for tagging me that uh, branding right. right there. So. Excellent. Yeah, that is that is nice when someone helps you out with the the message, making the message succinct there. I like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, fun, a funny little story to go along with that, you know, Popeye's chicken, mm -hmm. Popeye's chicken. One day I was passing through our town and I looked over at Popeye's and the their big sign up on above their thing says Popeye's. Well, the E-Y-E-S wasn't lit up, just the P-O-P -P was lit up pop. <laughs> Eyes, but eyes wouldn't. So P.O.P. So I pulled over to take a picture. And I said, look, even Popeye's is advertising uh, for Professor of Perseverance. Perseverance. I like that. Very so, nice. That'll, that'll uh, make a great graphic image. <laughs> that's right. So, all right. Uh, but my story is just, uh, mm -hmm. I was one of them growing up. I wanted to be a professional athlete, professional mm -hmm. baseball player. And I was one of them that thought I was invincible. Nothing was going to stop me. I was going to mm -hmm. get this my way. There was Nothing, nothing was in my way to prevent me. And what had happened is I got to play one college game in, fresh, in, co in college. I was the only freshman starting. Mm. And so I just knew everything was going to go great. Yeah. That was on yeah. a Saturday. Very next day, a bunch of people were playing football game, tackle, mm -hmm. sandlot, backyard, however you want to call it. But it mm -hmm. was on the campus ground, campus green. And we did not have any protective gear no helmets, no shoulder pads, but we were playing tackle. Mm. We'd probably been out there maybe two hours, and my team had got the ball back. And so in the huddle, I said, hey, I'm done for today. We've been out there for a while. I need to get my stuff ready for class the next day. And so I left the huddle. Mm. I got to maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 feet away from there, and I heard someone say, we need someone to run the ball. I stopped, turn around. Mm. Now, Elizabeth, here's my shameless plug. I came back for one more, one play, more play, which is the name of my first book, mm. One More Play. And so a yeah, shameless plug, but yeah. I come back for one more play. They hand the ball off to me. I bust through the line, broke a couple of tackles, 
scored a touchdown. Hmm. And as I was turning back towards everyone, and of course, you know, when you score a touchdown, the play's over now, dead. Right. You know, no more playing. No mm-hmm. more playing. Right. Mm-hmm. The balls are worth the touchdowns already scored. So as I'm turning back towards everyone, putting the ball down, I see something in my peripheral vision on my right side. I have no idea what I see. I just see something. I feel contact on my right shoulder, and then I hear a loud pop, and we both go to the ground. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, on that day, I'll give you a hint. Only one of us returned to the feet to get up and walk, Mm. and it wasn't me. I was paralyzed instantly. Oh, wow. Wow. That's an amazing story. And just like you said, you know, the one more play, how close you came to just just leaving. I bet you how thought many, about that a lot. How many, how many times have you heard someone say I was one month away from retirement mm-hmm. and then something happened, they died or got mm-hmm. severely injured or captain Charlie Plum, you need to interview him. You're talking about some mm. resiliency. Captain Charlie Plum, I interviewed him on my podcast and he was on his 75th flying mission in the Vietnam war mm-hmm. in the late sixties. And he said the 75th and last flight. Yeah. He got shot down hmm. and then was a prisoner of war for nearly six years. Oh, wow. So yeah. How many times do you hear people, the one more thing, then mm-hmm. uh, that's when things seem to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So what happened next? I mean, I, I assume they rushed you to the hospital and. There's one gentleman because I tried to get up. Tried to get up and mm. laying on the ground. The guy that tackled me, he was going, oh, I tackled him. I tackled him. I'm going, yeah, the play was over. So, man, I'm going to get up. I mean, I didn't pass out or anything. I'm, I'm awake, mm. fully conscious for all of this. And, and, and when I heard a pop, I thought my collarbone on my right side broke. Because mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything in my neck. I didn't. And There's so no, no pain. pain. No, 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 very little pain. Mm. And so I, that, so I thought my collarbone was broken. Mm. And I was left-handed. So my right side... I figured I'd beat the guy up, you know, fight with my left hand, mm-hmm. being left-handed. And so I said, man, I'm going to get up and say, man, I'm going to beat you. And so I lift my head to get up. Nothing followed. My shoulders mm-hmm. didn't come up. My arms didn't come up then. Legs definitely didn't come up. Wow. So I put my head back down. Then the guy goes, well, does the touchdown still count? Man, I'm really going to get up now. And yeah. lift my head for a second time, still nothing. Mm. So then I took a deep breath and then... I, you know, they say three's a charm. Yeah. So I tried for the third time, still nothing followed. And then instantly I'm thinking of a man named JT. I met JT back when I was 12, 14 years old. My mm-hmm. grandfather was in a nursing home. So I'd go visit my grandfather. A room before I got to my grandfather, they brought in a new gentleman because my grandfather, he was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to go visit my grandfather. This guy in the room goes, hey, buddy, come here for a minute. So I walked on in and he says, hey, can you hold this water so I can get some, uh, get a drink, get this cup and I'll get a drink of water. I said, sure. And held the water for him. And he would, he was just curled up in a ball, basically, mm-hmm. wasn't moving anything. And found, I found out later, he was in a car accident and broke his neck and he was totally paralyzed mm. from, his, from his chin down. He was in his mid thirties, it looked like. Wow. And so I'm laying on the ground thinking of JT being paralyzed yeah. and thinking at my age of 19, I'll be in a nursing home mm. is what I really thought was going to happen. So, but the young, yeah. fortunately, fortunately on the, on the campus ground, there was a gentleman there. I don't know remember if he was playing or just walking by, 
but he was going to school to neither be a paramedic, EMT, mm-hmm. whatever it was back in 1983, whatever mm-hmm. they may have been called. And so all of a sudden he's barking out orders uh, to someone run to his room or bring a blanket, bring a stethoscope, bring his blood pressure kit, bring a pencil and paper. And he's recording all this stuff wow. and trying to keep me from going into shock. Mm-hmm. And then of course gave all that information for when the ambulance people did get there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wish I could wish I never met him again. I wish I would get, wish some of these people I can could, mm-hmm. could, could meet to let yeah. them see, let them know how far I've came and right. let them know, thank them for some of their help. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I got to the hospital and it was a smaller hospital and the injury was too much for them. So they, they sent me to uh, Nashville, Tennessee to hospital, a bigger hospital that can deal with spinal cord injuries. Mm. So did that require a lot of surgeries following that or, or were you in the hospital for a lengthy amount of time? Only for three months. Oh, wow. That, that is a long time. <laughs> I changed yeah. the address for three yeah. months. And then, then as soon as I was dismissed, I was sent to Birmingham for rehab for another month. So a total mm. of four months where I finally got to come home. But uh, mm. the first night when they got me into the, the place uh, where, I had, where I went to college in their hospital, I don't know if they were afraid to tell me or what. They wouldn't tell me anything. And mm. I mean, I knew I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. And yeah. they did the old prick thing with a mm-hmm. needle, you know, to see what I can feel and can't feel, uh, sharp and dull. And, and so, yeah, they wouldn't tell me. I don't know why they wouldn't tell me. But the f- strange thing here is, uh, this is a different part of a story, but a girl goes by a nursing student uh, go mm-hmm. by and I recognized her. I'd met her four or five days earlier and she was going to school to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And I guess she was volunteering or something there. And then uh, I remember saying to her, she said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm in next broke. I'm paralyzed. And she goes, mm-hmm. what? And we had talked and everything a couple of days earlier. She looks at the paperwork or something. And I mean, and then we talked for a few minutes and then she went on her business, but yeah, but they ended up sending me to St. Thomas hospital and the doctor then he, uh, I said, well, doc, how bad it is? And he said, bad enough. You'll never walk again, possibly not move from your neck down. And mm-hmm. I said, Hmm, that's pretty bad. Isn't it? He said, yep. And then he says, well, now I got to do something here. He says, I'm not going to lie to you. We're not going to put you asleep for it, but we've got to drill some holes in your head and screw these mm. screws into your head and it's going to hang weights off. It's like a horseshoe and yeah. they screw it in, hang these weights off of it because they want to stretch my neck to try to get the vertebrae to pop back in place. Oh, and wow. I remember saying, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to hurt like hell, but we got to do it and we're not putting you asleep for it. I said, well, do what you have to do. I said, I can't get up and do anything about it. Mm. And so that we were just weird feeling feeling and hearing, yeah. you know, the bone cracking oh. where the screwing it in and mm-hmm. everything like that. That was weird, but we did. Weird. We did. I would say like excruciating or very painful. You're they, like, they, 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 deadened, they deadened the area for uh, the skin, Yeah, you know, but when they got into the bone, the cranium, you know, I mean, you can just hear the bone breaking mm. where it's having to open up to get this mm-hmm. screw or boat to go in there. And then wow. you can feel some pressure on each side when he did it. But mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, it wasn't too bad, but uh, eventually the, you know, he said, I'll never walk in, possibly not move from my neck down. And as I was leaving the hospital, going to rehab, doctors talked to my family and they advised me at 
the age of 19, they should put me in a nursing home because I'd be too much of a burden to provide mm. care. Wow. So how, how do you deal with all that, like mentally and emotionally? I mean, that's a lot to, to handle just, you know, in an instant, everything changes. What, what kind of thoughts were going through your head and how did you process that? You know, again, I was one of them wanting to be an athlete. So I had that mentality that I was invincible. Now I'm finding physically I'm not invincible, but I still maintain the mentality of being invincible. Mm. I never thought I would never walk again at that point. Mm -hmm. I figured I would walk even if it was with a limp, but Mm -hmm. I knew that I would never play baseball again. And main reason I love playing baseball was one thing, but also, you know, my, my father died when I was 16. So I had to learn to be the man of the family to grow up quick. And mm-hmm. not to say that we were poor, but we were knocking on that door yeah. of being poor. So, I mean, my mom, single mother raising three boys and we're getting social security checks because uh, father passed away and mm-hmm. for her to make all these ends meet every month. So at my, at my age of 16, Again, our house wasn't the greatest, so sometimes it would rain and we'd have a leak. So I'm the one at 16 having to go find the area that's bad and try to fix the best I could because we couldn't float or afford a mm. roofer. Then the winter times, there's been a few times that our, under our house, our water pipes would freeze and burst. So here I am at 16 underneath there mm-hmm. trying to fix and repair them wow. because we can't afford a plumber. Of course, mm-hmm. same thing with auto mechanics and anything else. So I had to grow up fast. And yeah, so were you the was, oldest son? I'm the middle one. The middle. The middle. One. Okay. The older brother, he's not mechanically inclined, and thankfully I was. So I mean, other than if you'd ask him to work on your car, other than turning the radio and putting gas in, that's about as mm-hmm. far as he can go with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's about my level of skill also. So, <laughs> I mean, he's great in a bunch of other areas, especially mm-hmm. he works a lot with, with, with autism children and uh, other people that's workman's comp being hurt one-on-one with other people. So he's a great caregiver. Yeah. So you have a doctorate. So obviously you were able to return to school at some point, but was that right away or did you have to come home? Did you have to leave college and come back home, you know, for an extended time while you were recovering. And the funny thing about it, even though with a doctorate, when I graduated high school, I graduated with a 2.0. I only stayed eligible enough so I can be able to play sports. Right. I didn't care. I knew when I went to college that I would never graduate. I knew that Mm. I was hoping to get uh, drafted to go play pro. And if Mm -hmm. that didn't happen, I would be a mechanic. That's, Mm -hmm. That's what my dad did. And I figured I'd fall back on that from there. So, so then uh, after being paralyzed and got out of the hospital, started thinking, well, if you want to have a life, I guess you better go get a degree. Cause I, I didn't know any other wheelchair people. I didn't know the spinal mm-hmm. cord people. So I didn't know how many people really at that time were really working and out doing mm-hmm. things. So I thought, well, if you're going to have a chance, you better get a degree and stuff like that. So I went back and then I'd go, go for a while, then quit for a while, go for a while. And quit. When I first was going back, it was just to get out of the house to get away from the family. Because we all got tired of each other pretty quick when you're mm-hmm. stuffed in the house. And at that time, I had to depend on them for everything. Yeah, They were feeding me, dressing me, helping me go to the bathroom. If I needed to go to anywhere, they were driving me. And, mm-hmm. and so we got tired. of it. So I, it, it gave us all of us some serenity to be away from each other, even if mm-hmm. it was only for an hour at a time. Yeah. And so that was good for us. 
So that, that's a really interesting educational story there. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, we, how... we got we got burned out with each other mm-hmm. pretty quick. I mean, yeah. they're, they're having to do everything for me. And, I, you know, I was so independent, used to, I was doing everything for them when my mm-hmm. dad died. And then here, here I am having to learn to reciprocate now mm-hmm. and, and take the, the help. Mm-hmm. So did you approach your, your rehab and, you know, I'm sure the physical therapy and exercises you had, was that like your new workout, you know, being, having an athletic mindset, you know, you're used to kind of pushing and stretching your body and, and doing you know, getting up to the next level. So was that mindset helpful as you were going through that? And you mentioned earlier about surgery. I did have one main surgery. Mm-hmm. Again, they screw all this stuff in my head. It didn't pop the vertebrae back in place. So they went in and operated on the back of my neck. And then they on my hip, they removed some bone off my hip to put on each side of my vertebrae to, mm-hmm. to keep them stable. Mm-hmm. And then from there, so that, that was the surgery. But uh, yeah, yeah, like you were saying, so after surgery, I started to move my arms more. And then I got hurt on September 11th. And then I actually started moving some muscles on Halloween night in my legs. Mm. And so now I'm thinking, all right, now we've got something going. We've got some movement going. And so, yeah, so being an athlete, we just directed my workouts to trying to get as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And so we'd, we'd, be, we'd be at my house with these ankle weights that are on my wrist and doing workouts and everything to build arms up stronger and put them on my legs and do what I can. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was our new routine for years. We did that. And then I actually went to, I think it was like 18 different rehabs in the first five years trying to find that cure to walk. Mm. And a lot of them were one day evaluations. They said they couldn't do anything to help me. I got as far as I could. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I got where I was able to drive myself and able to dress myself, get on and off the toilet by myself. And, and mm-hmm. so I even got where I was able to stand and walk with a walker. And that's mm-hmm. from just us. And yeah. so we were going, man, if we can find a professional help, how okay. much more could we get? So we, like I said, I was able to walk with a walker for 10 minutes. And so I tell people, I said, so when I made a liar out of the doctors for 10 minutes when he said I'd never walk again. <laughs> so it's, there you go. It's just the other, it's just the other 23 hours and 50 minutes. They were correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that takes a lot of determination and like your name implies, perseverance to to get through that, to keep going. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, Download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. So was there some point where you reached where you're like, okay, this is as good as I'm going to be able to get it? Or is it just a continual, you know, you still work towards doing as much as you can? The, the walking for 10 minutes felt like I run a mile every time because mm. my legs would spasm and mm-hmm. you know not being up and doing it all the time yeah and then they just spasm so much and stayed weak so i basically peaked what mm-hmm. i could and yeah so yeah. after five years again like I, said, I was going to school on and off on and off on and off and finally after five years of these rehabs and stuff not that i meant to lie to everybody and myself but eventually it turned out to be a lie 
because uh, mm. uh, I, I remember telling the family, not that I'm giving up on walking, say, but we need to put it on my back burner because mm-hmm. if I really want to do anything, I need to get that degree. Yeah. And so then I put more time into studying. And mm-hmm. that's what my brother told me. He said, you know, all the determination and, and fight that you had for playing sports. He said, now you need to direct that same determination, mm. and perseverance, and your studies. Wow, I like that. And so that's 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 what we end up doing from there. And then yeah. you went on to become an educator and a coach and all kinds of other stuff, right? I finished my bachelor's, well, I finished my associate's degree. I said, I said it took me eight years to get a two-year degree. <laughs> so <laughs> then after I got serious about everything, then I got done my bachelor's degree with the extra two years. And then I started looking for jobs. I In Tennessee, I applied at over half of our counties looking for a job and no one would hire me. I don't know if it was mm. wheelchair or what, but they wouldn't hire me. But we have 95 counties and I'd applied to 50 of them. Wow. And so three years trying to find a job. And so during one part of the year, I decided, eh, I'm tired of just sitting around. Let's go back now and get my master's degree. And so mm. I've they had to set up for a two-year program. I finished it, uh, the two-year program, one full year. Started uh-huh. in August and finished in August. Mm-hmm. Just so I can get out of the house again and get away yeah. from them, give me some serenity again. Mm-hmm. And plus, I was still driving 3,000 miles a month looking mm-hmm. for a job. You know, back then, we didn't have the internet, so you'd have yeah. to drive or you could wait for them to mail you an application, fill it mm-hmm. out, and then turn around and mail it back. Yeah. But I would usually drive to it, ask or fill it out and drive back home. Mm-hmm. So they, I knew they had it in hand and, and wouldn't have to wait back and forth. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So then when I finished my master's, then I got hired when two weeks later got hired. So I don't know if it was cost a master's or what. Mm-hmm. So I got into teaching and coaching and I wanted to coach baseball. And so I did, a, I was in a middle school coaching and teaching and so our high school let me come and assistant coach with the baseball. And then I was helping out with the girls' basketball team mm-hmm. at the middle school where I was. And after two years of head coach, actually, he played baseball with me at the high school together. He was just a grade mm-hmm. up on me. And so, yeah. so when I found out he was teaching there and coaching, that was, that was good to know I, had, I knew someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then so he let me, I said, I said, Sammy, now I want to come in and help the basketball. I said, but the only thing I know about basketball, man, is if you if you you hit them too hard, you know you get called for a foul. I said, and I know you, depending on where you shoot from, you get different points. Mm-hmm. I said, other than that, I can tell you an offense, a defense, anything. And so after his second year of being with him, he says, "Hey, I'm I'm not coming back to coaching next year. I'm going to spend more time with my family." He said, "The team's yours." I said, well, "What?" Wow. <laughs> and he was nice he let me come in great uh-huh. but I was kind of the conditioning coach he'd yeah. run the whole practice then he'd give me the last 10 minutes or so to run him and condition him mm-hmm. and so but so then uh I got another guy I met at the school we become we're real good friends we both went together as co-coaches no head no assistant coach we were mm-hmm. co-coaches make the equal decisions and then we both learn how to play and defense and offense and everything like that. And I don't know, maybe I was there 12, 13 years and we were in the championship game in our County 10 out of 12 years, 10 out of 13 years yeah. in the championship games. Uh, didn't win them all, mm-hmm. but we probably won half and 
finish running up half of them. Mm-hmm. So we, we were, we were, we were jokingly being, being called the Pat Summit, the, the middle school. Yeah. Uh, great. So that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. <laughs> that, that is neat. You know, it's, it's one thing when you like win things or make accomplishments yourself, you know, but when you're like coaching someone else and you see them succeed like that, it's just, it's a different level of joy. You know, that's, that's really neat. When you say it, yeah, when you say a difference with them and, and it's not just uh, watching them physically do things right, just watching them grow up mentality, mm-hmm. watching them maturing and making better decisions, stuff like that. So th- that's just, mm-hmm. just fun as well. And it yeah. did, when I, when I was teaching for a while, it, it, it didn't hit me. It, it took four, five, six years when you finally get some results of someone who's graduated or in high school and they'll come back and see me somewhere. And then there's been, there were several of them that would come back and thank me for not giving up on them. You know, that was the yeah. trouble kids. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and I, I started telling the principal and others, you know, give me the trouble kids. You know, it's, mm. I did my first year. I was one of them because I couldn't, being in a wheelchair, I couldn't just go to them all the time. So I'm having to yell across the room, quit doing that. I'm tired mm-hmm. of you doing Get out in the hallway. I'm tired of that and messing with yeah. that. And so finally, finally hit me one day in my first year of teaching. I was going, you know, that kid I keep yelling at. I said, I bet he's heard someone yelling at him since he's been up in the uh, first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, mom and dad's probably yelling at him because he's overslept. And now they're yelling at him because he's too late to eat breakfast. And then he's probably got on the bus and done something. The bus driver's yelled at him. As soon as he got to school, you go to the gym, wait for your class to get started. Probably the whoever's running the gym, usually it's a PE teacher, is probably yelled at him for something. So by the time he gets to me, he's immune to it. Mm. And so I started thinking, man, and plus I got tired of my blood blood pressure going up. And yeah. so I started thinking, we're going to do something different. So what I ended up doing is I would tell them, if you're going to goof up and you're going to play, you know, big boy and with your, with your friends mm-hmm. and be the big guy, then you're going to share the corner of my desk. And mm-hmm. so I would clean out a corner and make them sit there at my desk mm-hmm. and bring do their work right there with me away from their buddies. Wow. Now that gave me time to find out more about them. Mm-hmm. What are they going through? So is there anything I do to help them? And then I'd go like, yes. All right, man. You know, I can't write on the board. So I hear a piece of paper. I need you to go write this on the board. Now, don't get back there and goof off with your friends back there and then disappoint me. And mm. a lot of kids, they don't want to hear, don't yeah. disappoint me. Right. And they get up there and do what they're supposed to and come back. And after about, you know, a month or so, I'll say, all right, man, I'm going to trust you to go back with your friends. I said, but you started again. I'll bring you right back up here. So they, they thanked me for Mm-mm. not giving up on them and, and a different approach. Yeah. So there was actually one girl the very first day of school and all it was were, you know, first day you're just meeting people, you know, mm-hmm. meeting your teachers and everything. And they were going to spend 15 minutes with us, go to the next class, go to their next class. And then they were out of there by half a day for the first day to meet this one girl. Very first day. She just a talking, talking, talking with her buddy back there. First day. And I'm trying to ignore her. I'd look at her and then I'd shake my head at her. And then finally I said, get your stuff right now. You're going to share my desk all year round. And I threw things <laughs> off the floor, off the desk to uh, let everybody see, to get the attention. And I said, mm-hmm. put it right there. You get right. You will share this desk with me all year long. I get, and same thing, got to learn and know her and everything like that. And I probably kept her there more two months 
and then finally eased her out. Mm -hmm. uh, one day I saw her working at McDonald's and she says, you don't remember me, do you? I said, now how can I forget you? <laughs> but she had mature and finally grew. And a lot of them, when they're looking for trouble, uh, not looking for trouble, they're like that. They're One, they're trying to find their way, mm -hmm. trying to find their way. And also they don't know how to handle a certain situation and they're just immature. They just need mm -hmm. to grow up. Mm -hmm. And so, so hope, I'm sure I didn't do all of them justice, but there's few of them that, that, you know, let me yeah. know that uh, they were thankful that I uh, didn't give up on them and stuff. That's amazing how your, your perseverance rubbed off on these other young people. And, you know, like you said, they're not, they don't forget that they remember. And I bet then they're going to turn around and, you know, rub that, share that with others too. So that, you know, a, that legacy lives on. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had one that I could, Tell, I met him again. He'd already graduated. Been out of school for years. I saw different tattoos and stuff on him. And not to say tattoos are the evil of everything. You know, people mm -hmm. do their own thing. But he came up to me, started talking to me and stuff. And he had told me he'd been locked up for a while. And again, he said, "But I, I'm thankful that you didn't give up on me when I when I was trying." And I said, "Man," I said, "You know, we all grow up differently. We mm -hmm. all grow up mature differently." I said. Hey, if it took a stint to being locked up to help you find your way, I said, whenever you figure out what you're really going to do, I guarantee you'd be the best that you want to be for mm -hmm. everybody and, mm -hmm. and you. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I, so I don't, I don't hold that against you. If you went there, I said, mm -hmm. just learn from it and move on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's got to be an encouraging message for those young people. So how, after you've been through all this, at what point did you decide to write a book or how did that come about? Now we don't have a lot of time to get into that. Okay. We can make it Whole other a part, story. Two, yeah. okay. part two one day, but I'll give you the uh, Reader's Digest version. Yeah. That uh, I attempted suicide mm. three times in three days. That's how bad I wanted wow. out. Wow. Yeah. And the last time, the last time I was in my van in the garage, running engine, got out of my wheelchair to lay on the van floor. That way if I felt bad, I wouldn't leave and sucked mm. carbon monoxide for hours and finally passed out and woke up in the hospital. Someone had found me and they said that um, paramedics told them, said, I said I wasn't breathing. And they said, I didn't know CPR. So they were just slapping my face, they said. And wow. so when they called paramedics, and the paramedics told them 10 more minutes, mm. probably wouldn't be here. And wow. so, so then I jokingly, I tell people, I say, you know, when you live from a suicide attempt, they make you see a psychiatrist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so they make you see a psychologist, you mm -hmm. know, we live. So I had to see the psychologist for a year and I ended up quitting teaching and coaching. And it was time for me to get out from that anyway. Mm -hmm. It was time. I, uh, I, yeah, that's another story in itself, but mm -hmm. it was time to get out of that. He said, you know, you've got a story to tell you've, you've lived through this. God still has a plan for you. That's why you didn't leave. And so you need to write a book. You need to get out and speak and spread the message. And that's how I got into my speaking business and mm -hmm. meeting John Bentley at the NSA and other Toastmasters and writing. And then eventually with technology, my own YouTube channel and podcast mm -hmm. channel. So, yeah, well, that is awesome. Well, we, we probably will have to have you back on then for the part two. But for now, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. But tell people where they can connect you with you, how they can find you on, on YouTube and get a hold of your books. And because I know you've written more and, and all those good things. Yeah, most of what they can do is 
uh, just Google Professor of Perseverance, since that's my branding, mm -hmm. and I'll come up somewhere. Yeah. And so because that's my YouTube channel is Professor of Perseverance, a podcast, Professor of Perseverance, my website, ProfessorPerseverance.com. So you can go to Instagram, Professor mm -hmm. of Perseverance. So you can do that, Professor of Perseverance, you'll find me there. And um, yeah, a couple mm -hmm. of books, The One More Play, and the newest one that just got out a month ago, with, along with a mini course, you can mm -hmm. go to my website, ProfessorPerseverance.com, and get a free mini course and a free ebook with it. And it's the uh, called Your Past Doesn't Have a Future, but you do create your future today. I love that title. That is really awesome. Makes me makes me want to read it. Take the course. There so, you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. That's an incredible story. And you have so many wonderful gifts to share with the world, as you already have been with all these young people and, and through your books and your videos and things. So uh, thank you. I know many of our listeners will want to connect with you and hear more. I tell you one last thing here yeah. is a quick story that, you know, mm -hmm. there's times that there's a lot of times you're never going to know when you've helped someone, mm -hmm. you know, they're watching you without you knowing it and stuff like that. But there's times that we, we want to know. So we know if we're doing the right thing or not about a year apart. Now this has been years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I went like this. Well, I'm, I'm not speaking as much as I want to. I don't know if I'm helping anybody or not. And so I said, I think I'm about done with this. He goes, chalk it up as life learning and learn some stuff and, and just move on. And it seemed like when you do that, God comes and wants to get my attention again. Yeah. And twice I remember doing that. And twice the same day, except these are years of one year apart. Mm -hmm. This woman comes up to me one time. She says, Hey, Ricardo, I got a service dog, Ricardo. He mm -hmm. picks up my phone. If I drops it, my keys, when I drop it, he turned lights off and on, pull the drawer open. He mm -hmm. cleans my plate every night for me. And so, awesome. so she says, Ricardo, I said, oh, you met Ricardo? She said, well, I haven't met him per uh, yet, said, but he's on the front of your book. And I said, well, yeah. And she said, oh, I read your book. And I go, oh, okay. And, and so now, a year later, same thing. I'm done with it. I'm not getting it. And so I'm done. So I go to the store. All of a sudden, this one guy comes up and says, Mr. Purdue. And I said, oh, yeah. And usually when I hear that, I'm thinking one of my former students. Well, I mm -hmm. didn't recognize this guy. And he says, hey, I'm just letting you know, I read your book four times. And mm -hmm. I'm going, first, I'm thinking in my head, yeah, right, bull crap, you read it four times. <laughs> but I didn't say that to him. Right. So I wanted to hear his story. But then I asked both of them the same question. I said, hey, if you don't mind, could you tell me how you got the book? Did someone refer it to you? Someone give it to you? Did mm -hmm. you stumble across it uh, on the internet? Or did you find it laying in a trash can? Mm -hmm. You know, and I said, hey, I'd come out. And both of them, told me they also gave me the that the boy probably did read it four times mm. that they were both locked up in our county jail and mm. my book is on the county jail library really and they had read it through there and then one guy after he told me that i go i said to myself not to him yeah, he probably did read it four times then. <laughs> wow, so, that that is incredible. Yeah, it's just amazing what God can use. You know, if we just are willing to be used, how he can do yeah. those things to touch people in amazing ways. So yeah, again, here I am going, that ah, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get him what I wanted. I mean, mm. he was letting me know you're getting people's attention, you're helping mm -hmm. people. And you don't have to know it, but if you think you have to know it, all right, here's here's yeah. two people. Yeah. 
And then and that's again, so encouraging because then even when you're not hearing those stories, you know they're happening, you yes, know, because yeah, God's yeah, given you a little glimpse. And so you right. know there's it's a bunch exactly. more. Exactly. So again, a, about a year apart, and wow. both of them's telling me my book is in the county yeah. library. Wow. Yeah. And for everyone that says something, you know, how many others are there that you don't hear from, but that were also touched in that same way or in a different way? Yes, that, exactly. That's just really incredible. Yeah. So. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for having me on here. So yes, well, thank uh, you so much, you people. Yeah, I've enjoyed hearing your story, and, and I want to hear more of it. So we'll have to have you back on. <laughs> part two, everybody, yes. come in part two at the yes. uh, podcast near you. Sounds <laughs> great. We'll have to do that. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.